Uh, let's get right into this book of Esther 1 and 19. Um, we will uh, uh, thank, thank all of you for being so faithful to Wednesday nights. Amen. Good to have uh, Mitzi with us again. Praise God. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, she is our resident Berkeleyite. Amen. Praise God. And uh, God bless her. Amen. Uh, book of Esther, chapter 1 and verse 19. This will be my last lesson out of Esther, and then we'll quickly keep moving along. Um, uh, Esther 1 and 19 says, If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it not be altered. Let Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And um, let's pray and ask God to speak to us tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It is anointed. I pray now, God, that you would help me to preach and to preach your word effectively, clearly, concisely, and to be a blessing to your people. They're a wonderful people. I thank you, God, for this opportunity to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, and someone say amen. Uh, Whenever you read scripture, one of the things that you want to do Uh, if you decide to delve a little deeper into the text, is to notice words or phrases uh, that appear with frequency, uh, and in particular in uh, the domain of the book that you're reading. Esther, as we talked a little bit about last week, has 10 short chapters, and they are loaded with two words in particular that appear with a staggering amount of frequency. The first is law or laws. It appears seven times in the 10 chapters of Esther. The word law here, as we just read in our opening text, is being used in a sense of a system of rules that are recognized by the country and that regulate the actions of its members, which have violated result in the imposition of penalties, which is pretty much the way we use the term laws today. Um, The second word is decree or decrees, and that word appears 11 times in the book of Esther. The word decree means an official order issued by legal authorities of a country. In the case of Esther, this means the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, and his royal council. As you can tell, these two words are interrelated. They are closely connected. And the reason that we are putting a spotlight on these two words when it comes to the book of Esther tonight is because what we are looking at are two groups of Jews. One is returning to Jerusalem, as we discussed a few weeks ago with Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And the other has stayed in Persia, Esther, Mordecai, and the exiled community. And both are discovering um, that returning to a lawless way of life is not an option for them. Going back to a state where there are no governing rules in place, amen, is not an option for them. God did not bring his people out of Egypt through the wilderness, instruct them on how to build a tabernacle and how to establish a priesthood and then move them on to nationhood and even into a governing body, amen, for them to return to a state of anarchy, chaos, and destruction, Which is exactly what you get when you abandon laws and governing bodies. I want you to stop and consider the following. We all know that any number multiplied by zero, no matter how large the number, is still zero. This is true in life as well. In life, zero efforts in one area 
can negate even the greatest amount of efforts in another area. As simple uh, multiplication reveals, changing the zero has a much greater effect than trying to enlarge the number being multiplied against the zero. In life, all of our hard work, dedication, and commitment to improvement will be worth nothing if we insist, insist on having zero shape, structure, order, governing rules and laws, and administrative authority. And I'm not really here to talk about this in great detail tonight, but one of the things that we do need to realize is that there is a spirit permeating our society, and in particular even here in the Bay Area, that I understand, I relate, I I get it, that there's a lot of anxiety regarding um, the climate of government uh, and, and so forth. But the answer to that is not anarchy. And the answer to that is not to throw away the law books. And the answer to that is not to act uncivilized. Amen. I don't believe that our country, and I do believe we are living in a great country. I don't believe that that is the proper response. Amen. And even here in the book of Esther, as you read, you will discover, amen, or whether you're reading in Ezra or Nehemiah, you will discover that the Jews... In my personal opinion, some of the most successful people throughout history, amen, were always at the center of their success was of law, a rule, a governing body, amen. This is good for everyone to understand, amen. You don't want to return to the place, amen, where there is no law, no authority, no governing structure in your life. And I'm talking not just about society. I'm talking about on a personal level. I don't care if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, or any other kind of pathology. If you want to crawl your way out of that, one of the first things you need to do is start structuring your life. One of the first things you need to start doing is adding order to your life. You want to make it through college, get some structure, some organization. At some point, you're going to have to say being governed is better than being, amen, in chaos. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. In Jerusalem, we could see Ezra was reintroducing the exiles to ancient and unchanging laws that demanded a new and radical change on the behalf of the Jewish people. In Persia, Mordecai, Esther, and the exiled community, who we've been talking about for the last two weeks, discovered that working with and through a body of governing laws was the only way to bring about genuine change and direction. Amen. I still believe, and I'm not here to talk about politics. I really am not. In fact, I'm not that political. But I really do believe that real change in, in whatever structure, whether you're talking about society, government, even if you're talking about a religious institution, a church, whatever, it all begins when people say, you know what, we're gonna take the rules that we have, the rules that we know are valid, the rules that we know are good, Amen. The the structure that is here in place. And we're going to use it to climb, to build. Amen. Not to tear down. And sometimes you got to tear down. And sometimes you have to resist. And sometimes you... But everything should be done civilly, decently, and with order. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. And we should always use the channels that are already there. Amen. To promote change. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the blessing of doing things within structure, order, law, governance. Amen. Amen. So, as it concerns us, I want to talk to you a little bit about the church. The church must have order. Uh, Whether it's popular or not in society is really irrelevant, and it's of little importance. God's people must always have order. God's people must always have at the center of their life, amen, a code, a law, Amen. That regulates our behavior, our action, not just when we're in church, but when we're out of church. Hallelujah. Not just, amen, when we're in each other's presence, but when we're all alone. Amen. And my 
I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I have zero intentions of going over your house and checking the closets. I have zero intentions, amen, of, 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 doing, of being that invasive in your life, amen. I, I believe, amen, that you can develop a relationship, amen, with David said, thy law is a lamp unto my feet, hallelujah. I believe that if you develop a relationship with this structured, dynamic word, amen, it will enhance your life, amen. amen. Implementing structure and law and governance, it does not hinder you. It does not, amen, it does not, it, it enhances your life. Can you say amen? amen. So there are certain in particular pair, pillars of order that none of us should move or even wish to move. And I'm going to talk to you about some, you know, I'm not preaching to anybody here today, um, although I'm preaching to everybody here today. But I'm actually going to talk about some very practical things, uh, some Christianity 101, amen. Because uh, uh, I believe that we can, we can really uh, benefit from this here today. Amen. But I want to talk to you about some of the laws and the governance and the structure of churches. Number one, I want to talk to you about the order governing parents and children. Both the Old and the New Testament tell children to honor their parents. Amen. That creates order. That creates structure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certain I've probably said this here before. Um, but all of you uh, who are familiar with me and, and even now, you know that sometimes I have to travel a lot. And there was a particular day where um, I, I'll just be very frank and honest with you. I traveled a lot without my family so that I could provide for my family. Amen. I wanted my family uh, to have the best that I could provide. I remember one particular service. I was standing on the platform and it was Father's Day. I, I'm not afraid to tell you this. We're all human here. Amen. But I remember God speaking to me, the fifth commandment of the Bible. And he said, uh, I remember hearing it so clear in my head. Amen. Children. Uh, uh, honor your mother and your father. And I, I was just thinking about this verse and I thought it's so odd. And here I am on Father's Day. I'm like, yeah, you know. And God said, if you're not home, your daughter cannot honor you. And I want your daughter to honor you. Uh, she needs that structure. She needs that, she needs that anchor in her life. She needs that, that governing uh, uh, pool in her, in, 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 in her life. Amen. But if I'm not there, she cannot do that. Amen. I can tell you I love my mother. Uh, I'm thankful for the mother God gave me. She worked a lot of hours, however. Amen. And I was not... Uh, a stranger came home many times. And there was many times when she came home to a stranger, to be quite blunt. And we butted heads, amen. Because she wasn't sure who was this kid eating all her food. And I wasn't sure who this lady was yelling at me. Hallelujah. Amen. But had we been home and had we allowed, amen, uh, uh, had we allowed ourselves to be in each other's presence and to honor one another, amen, uh, things would have been very different. Ephesians 6.4 says, and you fathers. And I want to talk to you about the governing order, amen, between uh, parents and children. We know that um, children must honor, you know, and I, let me say this, backtracking here just for one second. The scripture does not say children love your parents, which is really odd when you think about it, because the Bible says in, in the same set of commandments and throughout scripture, it says, love God, it says, love your neighbor, it says to love, but when it gets to your parents, it doesn't say love your parents. Now, let me say, it's a good idea to love your parents. But let me also say that sometimes parents do things that make them hard to love. And sometimes parents do things. And I'm not really, I, I'm, I want you to know, I'm, I'm speaking with a great amount of discretion here. But I hope you understand what I mean by that. I'm talking about sometimes there are cases where parents are, are, are wretchedly abusive and wrong. 
and uh, and 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 I don't believe the scripture uh, would would condone us exposing ourselves to. Uh, uh, a repeated amount of abuse. I I believe that's a violation of of every scriptural principle in the Bible. But it does say to honor your parents. Amen. And it it tells everybody to honor your parents because honor or respect is something you can do even when you don't necessarily love someone. But let 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 me talk to the parents about our obligation towards our children. Let's talk a little bit about the laws that God has given us. And there's many. But I just felt these on my heart. Ephesians 6 and 4 says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. My standard towards my children is that I should not frustrate them. That I should not frustrate them. And, and actually, the, the final point of this verse leads us to the next point. But let me just say this. The scripture says, um, fathers, parents, not just talking male here. Fathers means both parents. But it says not to frustrate your children. Um, I, I have children, so I see them get frustrated. <laughs> children get frustrated a lot. Yeah. Right? They, they don't... Uh, <laughs> Warren Buffett said one of, the, one of the, the wonders of the world is compounding interest. And, uh, and, and, and I just, children are already frustrated. We don't need a compound. Right. We don't need to put compounding interest on that frustration. And we could talk about the things that frustrate children. I will tell you this. One of the things that frustrated me as a child were promises that weren't kept. Yeah. That frustrates children. But I think one of the best things we can do and I've been trying to practice this in my home. I'm not perfect, but I try. Is when I see my children get frustrated, work with them through that frustration. Don't just let them give up. Don't just let them quit. And, uh, and some of you have already heard me say this, but we've got to get the quits out of our homes. Amen. We, we don't want to raise quitters. And I don't mean that in the traditional, we're not quitter sense. I'm, I'm, I mean that in the sense of we don't want children that think opting out of life is an option. Amen. I want children that understand the struggle is real and so is the victory. Hallelujah. I want children that understand. Hallelujah. You know what? In life, there's a fight, but I got parents that'll help me. I got a church that'll help me. I got a Sunday school teacher that'll help me. I got a youth group that'll help me. I got a church. I have a God. Amen. I have a Bible. Hallelujah. That, but we have to be willing to help work our children through their frustrations. And we have to not compound those frustrations. But here it says nurture. It says to bring them up and nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Um, which leads us to the next point. Uh, regarding the, the governing rules. Amen. And laws of parents and children. It says that the Bible tells us in very explicit terms. That parents are supposed to be the moral and spiritual educators of their children. Thank God for Sister Leah Harris doing Sunday school. It is not her job alone to cultivate spirituality in my children. Or your children. Or whosever children come through the door. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I understand. I don't like. I'm not taking shots at society. But let me say this. It is frustrating to me. When, when people genuinely, and I do, whether you know this or not, I get phone calls uh, throughout the week of people who just want to drop their kids off. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually open to that. Like, that doesn't necessarily bother me. But when people realize that there is not, amen, all these things. Uh, do you have a Sunday school room and iced sodas in the back? And is there any nurse on staff? We actually had a person ask us, is there a nurse on staff at your church? As though, like, we're supposed to have nurses on staff. And, uh, um, and I'm... I'm but there, people are 
people are trying to out, outsource Come on. Yeah. the spiritual and moral education of their children. Amen. They're trying to find somebody else to do that. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's nobody more, more influential in the life of a children than their parents. Amen. And it's amazing the things you could teach your son and your daughter with nothing more than a trip to the park. And, and, and taking no selfies during the trip. Hallelujah. And taking no cute pictures during the trip. And just... Being mom and dad. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I, I'll never forget one day pushing my, my daughter on the swing. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a picture of this right now, you know. And hashtag current mood. Hallelujah. And just, you know, and I thought, no, I'm having a moment. Yeah. I'm having a moment right now with my daughter. And I'm going to keep that moment. I want it to be up here. I don't mind it being on my phone, but I want it to be up here. I want to have this moment. I don't want my children to even feel like they have to perform right now. If I turned my phone on right now on the camera mode, all of our behaviors would change. It is our job as parents to educate and to nurture the spiritual and moral uh, center and core of our children. Proverbs 29 and 15 says, a child left to themselves brings shame. A child left. I'm going to tell you how I was taught this verse throughout my life. And I'm kind of grateful that it was taught to me this way. But one of the things I was taught regarding this verse was parents never leave your kids home alone. I was left home alone a lot. Uh, Like at 10. Uh, If you can imagine me at 10 years old, I was home alone all the time. Uh, I had keys to the house. I walked home from school. Uh, Man, I I did all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's only upon reflection. I have just determined my child, my, that is not what this verse means, but I will not leave my children at home alone because there will come a day where they are, they know just enough to burn the house down and, uh, and, and that will be a great shame. Amen. Um, but I, I do want to say this, reflecting on being left alone, I actually found out what this verse really means. Children are not to be left alone to their own devices, their own emotions, their own impulses, their own urges. We, you know, it's kind of funny, and I I don't mind saying this. Um, When I was young, my parents didn't cut my hair until I was like eight. They they let my hair grow down like past my waist. And uh, I hardly ever wore shoes. I was like this wild child. I just like, I, I, I was like... Small Mowgli, you know, if you can just imagine this small kid with hair everywhere and just, and, um, and, and my parents were really big on letting me express myself. And my parents were really big on, you know, just let that out, whatever you want, just, you know, go ahead and, (laughs) you know, just, I was left to myself. And at 18, I was suicidal. And at 16, I was in and out of juvenile hall. And at 15, I was being suspended. And at 10, I was kicked out of elementary school. Because I was left to myself. My parents looked at my emotions and said, those emotions don't need any trimming. Those emotions don't need any tampering. They don't need any structuring. We're not going to set any restrictive laws or guidelines. We're not going to put any boundaries around this young boy. And my life was a mess. And I didn't think that anybody had the right to tell me how to govern myself 
or, or to impose governance on me or laws or structure. Children benefit from structure. Children, my children, your children, all children, those of you, those of you that, are, that, are, that are awesome, upwardly mobile adults, somewhere it's because you had structure and, 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 and guidance in your life, whether you imposed it on yourself, and some of us did, or whether it was imposed on you by your parents. These are not bad things. These are good things. Hallelujah. And if we deny these things, there, I'm telling you right now, I promise you, I promise you, there are people right now winning at life, not because they're smart, not because they're educated, but because mom and dad just were not playing games. And there are people right now that with just a little bit of grit and they're smart enough to stay out of jail. Amen. And they're smart enough not to steal and they're smart enough to get up and go to school every day if they can physically and they go to work. And just because they know there's consequences to sloppy behavior. There's consequences to uncontrolledness. There's consequences to me just yelling whenever I want, screaming whenever I want, crying whenever I want, demanding whenever I want. We can't, it'll bring shame to us. I'll be the one that's embarrassed at the end of the day. And my child will take me along for a ride I don't want to go on. I promise you, I'm picking on myself today. Please, I, we, got a, we still got a lot of Bible to go through here tonight. So before you think I'm picking on anybody, hallelujah, trust me, I'll get to everybody. But, um, on the, you know, Sister Harris, I'll never forget one day I stole. Who remembers Tower Records? I think they just closed down a while ago. I used to go to Tower Records and steal CDs all the time. And one day my mom had the flu. She was sick. And my, I'm telling you, my mom, she was, she, my mom was that Mexican lady that cleaned houses. That was my mom. And uh, I'll never forget one day they caught me stealing and my mom had been so sick. She had been cleaning. Her nose was bleeding from, from, the, from the chemicals of cleaning and pneumonia. She was dead sick. And I'll never forget the undercover police officer had me in the back. He said, bro, he said, bro you know, I got to call your mom. I was like, man, don't call my mom. She's so sick right now. But I remember when my mom got, they called her. My mom came into the back of Tower Records. And I remember she just, you could see it. She wanted to hide. She felt so embarrassed. She felt so ashamed. But you know what? Her and I now had to share that shame. Because somewhere it was okay to let my hair grow to my waist. And somewhere it was, shoes were, shoes were too restrictive. Shoelaces were just too many lines, <laughs> you know, and, and, and clothes were boundaries. And, and my, my dad to this day still does that. He, he's just like, he's convinced that's why I'm at where, you know, when you were young, we just bless God. We let you do whatever you wanted. That's how you got to where you're at today. Here was the benefit. When it came time for me to go to church and be a Christian, I did not care what my parents thought. Hallelujah. That's about as, that's about as good as, that's about as beneficial as that was to me. I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to church. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's, let's not leave our children at home alone. And let's not leave our children to themselves. I told my wife yesterday, I came in, and I'm not going to say what or who, but I noticed something about one of my daughters. A good thing, not a bad thing. It was a good thing. It was a fruitful tree of talent and virtue. But I said, you know what, Jamie? We got to trim that tree. We got to trim that tree. Because when, when, that, when that talent and that ability, when it begins to flourish, if we, don't, if we don't direct that growth a little bit, we'll lose our son. We'll lose our daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Let's lift our hands and pray right now. I feel a good presence of God, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, help us, God. Touch us, Lord, to be a positive influence in the life of our children. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. amen. What does this have to do with Esther? I'll tell you what this has to do with Esther. It doesn't matter where you go, child of God. It doesn't matter where you go, saint of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing, saint of God. Amen. God does not want you living a life of anarchy, free of guidelines, free of governance, free of, and, and, and infused with anarchy. That is not what God has done too much in your life to let you live an unstructured Amen. Uh, no borders, no boundary kind of life. Somebody say amen. 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 I want to talk to you a little bit about the, 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 the guiding laws and, and, and structure of being single. Now, I want to say this. I was single for a long, even before church, I was thinking about this. I was single for a long time. I came to church when I was 28 and I, 20, I mean, when I was 18 and we got married, at, I got married at 28, 29. Engaged to it, so I was single for like a long time, and uh, man, it was hard. <laughs> it, and you know what? It's hard being single in church. Yes, it is. Amen. Elder Harris was the only one that said Amen. Hallelujah. I, it's hard being single in church. Uh, as I was studying for this for this evening's message, man, I was like studying on singles and just kind of you know trying to get some a little bit of inspiration. And there was like one singles ministry in a church called. Uh, from spares to pairs. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you are single, you are not a spare part in this church. Hallelujah. I don't care whether you're married or you're single. You are an integ- integral part of this Amen. church. Yes. You, you represent. Yes. You, this, the church is supposed to not only reflect heaven. It's supposed to reflect its community. Hallelujah. And there are single people in community. <laughs> Amen. We should have single people here. We should have widows here. We should have... Married people here. We should have people, amen, that have been through every spectrum of life. Nobody here is a spare part. And, and furthermore, nobody here is, in my eyes, a spare. And I'm here to make you a pair. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm, that's, I'm just keeping it real with you. Everybody is important in this church. Amen. And married saints should not look at single saints as like grade B saints. Now, it's okay if you feel bad for single people and you cry for them every night, but don't tell them. (laughs) Uh That's great preaching, Brother Jesse Ali. 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Your days, if you're single, when I was single, your days, your hours, your calendar should be ordered, organized, and structured around pleasing God. There's nothing wrong with being single if, if and when your sole purpose is pleasing God. In fact, I'm going to tell you from personal experience, if you do not have a desire to please God, being single is dangerous. For married people too. If, if, if you have a married couple and one doesn't want to please God, then you're in trouble. You're, you're just in much trouble. But I will say this. When you are single, and I don't, I, listen, I don't want to be in your business. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be texting you all day, calling you all day, 
Well, it does, I'm just, I, I want you to know this. When you're single, you're by yourself a whole lot more. There's, there's nobody watching. There's nobody watching. There's, you're, and that's not a bad thing. That's just a life thing. I, you know, I can't hardly disappear for 30 minutes without getting a text. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. And 30 minutes is pushing it. I'm going to get a text every five or 10 minutes. Hallelujah. And if not from my wife, from my kids and emojis and pictures and videos and where are you and why haven't you responded? <laughs> Praise God. I called you 30 minutes ago. But when you're single, man, you solo. You out. <laughs> and that's okay. But you better please God. You better have a desire, amen, when you're out there by yourself, amen, and somebody's winking at you and somebody's looking at you and the cashier's slipping you their phone. You better say, you know what? No, no, no. I got a heart to please God today. I'm reading my, I'm reading my Bible on BART, amen, hallelujah. I'm reading my Bible on the way home. I'm going to the church to pray in the evening, hallelujah, amen. When you're single, amen, I'm, I'm just going to keep it real with you. When you're single, this ought to be your second home around here, hallelujah. When you're single, you ought to get, you ought to get used to being in the church. You ought to try to check in as much as you can at the church. Get plugged into the church. It's a safe place for you. Before we move forward, thank God for the gift of being single. It is a gift. Scripturally, the Bible at one point does call it a gift. Being single can be a gift. Whatever your experience of being single is, recognize it as a gift from God and make the most of it as long as you have it. There are things you will not be able to do when you get married. When I tell you that if I do not wake up fast and start praying and reading my Bible, it's not going to get done for a while. Because cereal has to be poured, dishes have to be washed, showers need to be taken, clothes need to be ironed, wife needs to be hugged, husband needs to be hugged. I just, things can, can, can back up. But when you're single, that's a gift. You have, in fact, you have one of the most precious things that God can give any human. Time. You have more time. That's not to say you're not busy. But you, you're, you, really, your time is between you and God and, and, and your most inner circle of friends and family. That's, but you have a lot of time. Yeah. Amen. Make the most of it. Cherish it. In fact, I remember when I finally gave up trying to get married. I said, that's it. I'm just, I'm just going to be a spare. <laughs> And, and you know, and I really got content with being single and I really got used to going down to the church and praying and I was signing up for the cleanup team and I was signing up for ministry positions and I was just checking in at church as much as I could. And I really kind of just was happy. Next thing I knew I was getting married. Hallelujah. Don't get quiet on me. Y'all. Hallelujah. Do all you can to be godly. It's easy for those who are single to lapse into selfish, self-centered lifestyles and sexual sin, whether in thought or deed, be self-disciplined and accountable to others. Be self-disciplined and accountable to others. That's the easy way. You know what? When I was, uh, I just got to a point, um, you know what? And I know we have a few single people here. It's good. All of you that are single. I'm glad all of you don't live alone. I really am. When I was single and I was single for almost 10 years, I always lived with somebody. I just did not live alone. I didn't want to live alone. Um, I was constantly finding other broke single people to live with, other spares, hallelujah, some went on to be pairs. Yeah. I mean, I just, I never lived alone. I wasn't interested in living alone. I, if I wasn't living uh, with relatives, I was living with uh, other single people in the church. I stayed accountable. I stayed, I wanted somebody bugging me. I wanted somebody being like, hey, bro, you're acting kind of weird today. Everything all right. That was good for me. And you know what? And even, 
even before I got married, I had figured out a lot of conflict resolution. Now, Jamie's not quite as touchy as single men, but <laughs> but I learned how to work through a lot of conflicts. And I learned how to work through a lot of situations. And I learned how to be respectable in space. And I learned all that stuff, amen, as a single person. Yeah. And I'm going to close here. Finally, there is the order and the law and the governance that the ministry must live by, myself. Hallelujah, in this case. Acts 6 and 4 says, but we will give ourselves. Everyone say will. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There are a great number of things I do not want anybody in this church to do. Uh, And and I'm just going to say this. Many of those things are scripturally, spiritually, morally, ethically impermissible. There are things that the Bible outlines that I don't want you to do them. If you do them, I have to confront you. I have to come at you. Um, Not combatively, hopefully with a great spirit. Um, I, I'm not behind anybody. I'm not here to attack anybody. I'm not here. I'm not. I'm your pastor, not your pastor. So, and I'm a shepherd, not a cowboy. And and you know what I mean. Like and 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 if you want to, if you want me to be very frank and honest with you, um, you, the way I see the church is as another man's bride, another man's wife. This church is not my church. This is God's church. You are God's bride. And I, I try to behave towards you the way I would towards one of my friend's wives. Respectfully, honorably, cautiously, you know, the way you would conduct yourself around somebody else's spouse. You are the bride of God. But I do want to say this. I am not of the persuasion that any of us are fine just the way we are. Not myself either. I don't think I'm okay the way I am. I think I, I could I could think I could rifle off three things right now where I could improve. I think everyone here could rifle off two or three things immediately if I said, Where are you right now? Where what do you need to change? You could think of three things right off the bat. And I'm talking about spiritual, Christian, life living stuff. Amen. Right? Amen. And uh, I believe all of us need to work on getting cleaned up from the inside and the outside. All of us. There's improvements all of us can make spiritually, internally, and externally in our standards. Christianity has to have standards. Christianity, and it is the pastor's job sometimes to speak of those things, to talk about those things. Matthew 23, 26, look here. The scripture says, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter. That the outside may be clean also. Jesus never taught against cleaning up your life. Jesus actually taught you better get cleaned up on the inside and the outside. What Jesus took issue with with, was when people did it out of order. My biggest push, my biggest thrust here is to hopefully compel you internally in such a way that it shows up externally. Why did I, did I begin this particular last set of points in the book of Acts chapter 6? Because it seems to me that the best order for a pastor and congregation to live under is one where the leadership is just as defined by what it does as it is by what it doesn't allow. The apostle said, we will give ourselves to prayer 
and ministry of the word. They did not come out and say, our ministry is going to be defined by all the things we preach against. He said, our ministry is going to be defined by the things that we will do. And your pastor, myself, if you consider me your pastor, I, I pledge to you, I am committing myself to prayer. And not just any, I'm not just walking around the church saying hallelujah 50 times. I am praying for you, hallelujah. And I will pray for you for days and hours and weeks before I ever confront you about anything. Because my desire is that whatever change takes place in your life, it takes place internally. I pray that whatever happens, happens at the very core of your being. And, and, and there will be times we have to talk things out. And there will be times, there will be times you have to talk to me. But I pray that before you ever talk to me, you pray. Amen. And I pray that before we ever have tough talks, we're all praying. We're all, amen, tapped in. But I also believe this, and I'm, I'm convinced of this. When people are giving themselves to prayer and to ministry of the word, when you're out there, when you're praying and you're talking and you're living your Christian life, you do line up. You're like, you know what? I can't go just like this to teach this Bible study. I'm crazy. (laughs) You know what? I'm, I'm about to leave the house right now. I'm a witness. I'm an ambassador. I have a testimony. When you, when you are, when your mind is set, on what you will do. On what you will do. What you're not supposed to do becomes really easy. It becomes really easy. Prayer and ministry of the word. Amen. I really do. East Bay Bible Fellowship. I'm serious about that name. I want us to be a church that's genuinely spirit filled. Committed to scripture. Maturing, growing. Hallelujah. I don't want us to sink into anarchy. I don't want us to get to that place where the children of Israel got to, where everybody just did what was right in their eyes. And you got a congregation of a bunch of people, amen, thinking a hundred thousand different things. If we can all unify under this principle, we will be defined by prayer. We will be defined by this governing word. We will, we will, we will give ourselves, amen, to the, to the task of being good parents, raising good children, being an on-fire single person. Man, hallelujah. What could stop us? Praise God. Amen. That is revival. Amen. That is revival. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise. Oh, come on. Let's praise Jesus. I feel such a good spirit in here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's lift our hands. I just feel a wonderful lingering presence.